This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, October 12th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Public Health launches Community Health Assessment Survey. County slips and slides towards a decision on chain-up stations. Bears head towards hibernation. And a mountain weather forecast. If you ask Grace Franklin, when you lift up the most vulnerable, you lift up the community. We know that if we lift up the people that are the most disadvantaged, um, that have the they're in the health, least healthy um, neighborhoods, um, don't have access to fresh foods or places to exercise or be safe and play outside, um, if we make efforts to address those um, in areas, it makes the rest of our community healthy, too. Franklin is San Miguel County's public health director. Recently, public health launched a community health assessment survey to help identify key areas of need when it comes to public health. Our community health assessment survey is part of the state health department's um, public health improvement plan. So that's a lot of potential acronyms, right? Um, But it really comes down to really understanding the strengths and needs um, in San Miguel County uh, to really help public health prioritize our programs and uh, build our resources over the next five years. Whether it's healthy food, uh, affordable or accessible exercise, mental health services, um, and really it'll help just inform how do we move forward as a local public health agency regionally and then statewide. Franklin notes they already have a broad idea of the issues at play, behavioral health, housing, equitable access to care, but she says it's still important to hear from the community and quantify those priorities. The people in leadership, the people funding or supporting programs or implementing them even, we all have our own individual perspective on reality, on life, um, and our own life experiences. Um, And it it really, we can't have a cookie-cutter approach to how we reach out to our community. People really giving the space for individuals to say, this is a big issue for me um, and my health. Um, and really helping us use those numbers to create a dialogue with the policymakers, the funders um, of the government, right, to really help um, move forward in a more thoughtful and intentional way. Franklin acknowledges the questions on the survey might look a bit different from what people think of when public health pops into their brain. It's definitely true. I feel that when people think of public health now, Um, The first thought is COVID and COVID response, um, which is accurate, but um, public health is so much more than just one virus. Um, Public health is about looking at populations and how to create the healthiest place for people to thrive. Um, And really, when we talk about housing, when we talk about clean water, um, access to different services or um, good, healthy, local um, fruits and vegetables, that really is going towards this concept called the social determinants of health, where really it's the conditions of the places where people live, work, play, worship, et cetera, has a huge impact on um, people's health 
and their quality of life um, and outcomes and risks in life. And so it's really this bigger picture of um, what are those economic and social conditions that influence individuals and group differences in health status, and how do we narrow those gaps? The survey takes about 10 minutes to complete. Franklin notes public health hopes to have at least 400 residents of San Miguel County fill out the survey. The Community Health Assessment Survey will be available until November 4th. It is available at bit.ly slash com health survey and in Spanish at bit.ly slash saludcom. Surveys are also available in physical form at the Wilkinson Public Library and the Lone Cone Library and the Public Health Department. Public Health can assist with filling out the survey if individuals need support. In a work session with the Colorado Department of Transportation this week, the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners was facing an issue of traction. In a process that's been unfolding over the last three years, it is discussing the placement of truck chain-up stations on Highway 145 near Lawson Hill in Mountain Village. County Manager Mike Bardonia explains that while the county has no official authority on the matter, CDOT is open to hearing resident concerns. Keeping in mind that this is a CDOT decision, this is CDOT's safety decisions within their right-of-way, the, the part of land that they own. CDOT has come to the county consistently and said, we want your support. Even though this isn't your decision, um, we want to make sure that we're doing something that you can um, be happy with, that accomplishes both of our goals of motor safety and minimal impact to residents. CDOT is proposing a chain station near the Lawson Hill traffic circle, as well as one higher up near the entrance to Mountain Village, which they are calling the West Meadows chain up. The CDOT manager for Region 5, or Southwest Colorado, Julie Constant, explained that the high elevation West Meadows chain up is necessary because of variable winter storms. Over the last probably 10 years at least, we've been seeing our weather patterns change. Some years, snow drops clear down to Deep Creek for a storm or two, and then hits Lawson Hills. Sometimes it only drops as far as West Meadows, but it's never fully like we can always bank on a certain storm doing a certain thing. West Meadows could could be a backup for if someone actually manages to make it up Lawson Hill without chained up and realize they need to chain up. In past work sessions, residents have been particularly resistant to the West Meadows location, says Bordonia. Their biggest concern became then the West Meadows location and particularly the lighting impacts. Those concerns rang true again at this week's work session. Public comments focused particularly on wildlife and scenic concerns around the West Meadows. Rowdy Raudabush worries about the impact of a chain station and its associated lighting on the elk migration route. So my emphasis is still you know, protect our migration routes for the poor elk, who are such a big part of our economy in so many ways. And I'm awfully, between the highway and Prospect Basin, there's no place for the elk to go. Also making public comment, Angela Dye says that a chain station would diminish the scenic character of the road. Because CDOT is building for driver safety measures, they are exempt from development restrictions. But Dye says the view should still be considered. We are an All-America Road, which is the highest designation, as I'm sure you know, uh, for scenic byways in the country. The West Meadows location, I think you call it. Um, 
is of particular significance because it has it is the first real representation of the Mount Wilson Massif, if you will, from Sunshine to Wilson Peak to Deante to, to Mount Wilson. I think to just say, well, we're exempt isn't good enough, especially in a county that relies on and is known for its exemplary scenic resource. Representing the Elk Run Homeowners Association, Jim Mahoney says that between concerns over scenery, wildlife, and light pollution in Mountain Village neighborhoods, there should be no chain station on the West Meadows. Snowfall patterns, he says, indicate that the only place a chain station is necessary is at Lawson Hill. And just from my, you know, years of experience here, I can tell you that, you know, Lawson Hill is is the problem child uh, when it comes to snow events. It also holds snow longer than any other area. So uh, it, it makes sense to have the chain up station below uh, Lawson Hill, um, you know, and, and the least impact on that neighborhood too, you know, wherever it can be located. The Board of County Commissioners will continue the conversation with another work session on November 9th. We're getting closer to winter, but the bears aren't in hibernation quite yet. In fact, they're becoming even more active as they search for the last food of the season. KOTO News spoke with Colorado Parks and Wildlife's John Livingston about staying bear aware as the animals head into hyperphagia. What is hyperphagia? In a bear, uh, you know, they've got that natural calendar uh, that starts telling them you know, it's starting to get cold outside. Natural food sources are, are starting to dwindle as it starts to get colder, especially in the high country. And so bears are really looking to start packing on the pounds as they're going into winter uh, to build up those fat reserves that are going to help them get through uh, the winter uh, when they're taking their slumber. So they're going to be looking to eat as much as 20,000 calories in a day. Sometimes they'll stay up as much as 20 hours a day, uh, just constantly looking uh, to pack on the pounds to build up those fat reserves this time of year. And CPW has noted that Y'all have had over 3,000 calls since spring till now um, for bear-related incidents, and it's up from last year. Can you give any insight on why you think that that might be happening? You know, it kind of varies from region to region. So a lot of it depends on what happens in the spring. It's really critical uh, for bears' natural forage that we kind of avoid some of those late freezes. And what we saw around Montrose, Uray, uh, even around Telluride this year, uh, is that we did kind of get one of those uh, late freezes and uh, a little cold streak there um, late in the spring. And that really took a hit on some of those natural food sources. Now, with monsoon rains, we did see the recovery of some of that. Um, acorns have been uh, okay and choke cherries have been around. But what we've seen a lot in our area this year is that food sources have been pretty spotty. So in areas where it's good, it's been really good. And then in areas where it's been sparse, it, you know, it's, it's been a little bit more difficult for those bears to find those natural food sources that we'd like them to uh, stay in the high country and, and really uh, focus on those food sources. Uh, if it's not there, then we start to see them pop up more in our residential areas. Right. So, I mean, the natural next question is, what can folks, what are those things, those educational elements that y'all are hoping to um, 
make sure folks know so they can protect their homes and not have those bear interactions? Sure. Yeah. One of the biggest things is, you know, removing those uh, bird feeders and those hummingbird feeders. Uh, you know, bears can kind of, you know, they've got a great sense of smell and they know where those things are and they know when uh, bird feed's falling or if it's a, in a place where they can reach it, uh, they'll remember that and they'll come back in, <laughs> to that uh, attractant multiple times um, if, if they know that it's there. The other big thing, obviously, is um, securing your trash, right? So we really urge the public, you know, don't put your trash out on the curb or out on the street until the actual morning of pickup. We know the bears are very active at night. And if you put your trash out on the curb the night before pickup, there's a pretty good chance that a bear is going to come around and, and see what's in your trash. Now, obviously, bear-proof trash cans help a ton with that. Now, of course, those bear-proof trash cans only work if humans do their part and use them properly. So if they've got a clip on the top of them, you've got to make sure that they're clipped and sealed shut. Or if it's an automatic mechanism, you want to make sure that the trash isn't over full so that that mechanism isn't working. You want to make sure that lid is tight, down, and secured. Um, you mentioned that right before we got on the phone today, um, you had your own bear removal interaction. What was that like? Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, yeah got a call from some of our wildlife officers here in Durango, where my office is based, and um, let me know that we had a bear that was underneath a porch uh, that wasn't really looking to leave, and so uh, we were going to look to relocate that bear, um, you know, out of this neighborhood. And it's actually just a couple blocks from where I live, and um, you know, really interesting. Uh, I think a lot of folks follow Fat Bear Week uh, going on at one of those national parks up in Alaska. Um, and this was, interestingly enough, one of the biggest bears uh, a lot of our Durango area officers have ever seen. We uh, estimate it was probably pushing around 400 pounds. It was a big boar, uh, male bear. And um, yeah, so in this instance, um, you know, just gave him a, a quick little tranquilizer dart, uh, made sure that that set in. And it took uh, you know, six or seven of us to, um, you know, get a, a mat underneath this bear that we could kind of pick it up and, and scooch it along, uh, get it into a trap. It does get an ear tag and a microchip so we can kind of keep track of um, where this bear's been if it finds itself uh, getting into trouble or if it turns up somewhere in the future. But, you know, we'll relocate this bear um, well wet west of here um, so that it has um, less chance of finding its way back into the same situation. This time of year, bears are looking for a good place to den for the winter. This particular back porch that was underneath was a great spot. It was nice and cool. There were apple trees right nearby. Um, so there's a chance this bear might have been looking at that spot as, hey, this is a great place for me to shack up for the winter. Obviously, we don't want that. We want the, the residents to feel safe in their home, uh, to be able to let their dogs out in the backyard uh, without any kind of incident. So we felt it was best for this bear to be relocated. And, uh, you know, right now I've seen it go off in the trap. And, um, yeah, it'll it'll move well west of here with the hope that it, it doesn't return back into the residential areas of Durango. Well, congratulations on, you know, successfully completing maybe your own Southwest Colorado Bear Week. And... John, thank you so much for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good one. President Biden was in Colorado on Wednesday to declare a new national monument on 54,000 acres in the Leadville and Vail areas. The stretch of high-altitude forest land is now protected as the Camp Hale Continental Divide National Monument. This particular area was singled out for its unique history. During World War II, it served as the training ground for the 10th Mountain Division of the U.S. Army, which was instrumental in driving the Axis powers out of the Italian Alps. 
After the war, many of those soldiers returned to the Rocky Mountains, where they were instrumental in fostering the ski industry in the U.S., establishing resorts which continue to this day. Two surviving members of the division were able to attend the naming ceremony. Biden also recognized the area's ecological diversity and its history as an ancestral homeland for the Ute tribes. Hillary Cooper, an advocate for land conservation in Colorado and a San Miguel County commissioner, attended the designation ceremony. She says it was a day of deep meaning and celebration. It is an absolutely beautiful fall day here, um, just like the ones we've been having at home. And many of the people that have been working on this uh, were able to get back together and really have this celebration. It was incredibly touching. Uh, members of the Ute tribes were there and recognition was given to them. And to cap it all off, President Biden quoted Ed Abbey to finish off his remarks to quote um, one of the most hardcore environmental advocates is pretty indicative of just where the values of this president lie. The designation is not without some political controversy, as Republican state politicians voice concerns over restrictions to land use and Biden's use of executive power. The U.S. Forest Service has released a learning analysis from the Sims fire on Sims Mesa earlier this year. The fire burned just over 300 acres in May after a prescribed burn got out of control. According to the Forest Service, the burn was conducted within burn plant parameters, including weather, fuel moisture content, and contingency resources. Still, the learning analysis makes several recommendations to make prescribed burns more successful in the future. Recommendations include reviewing fuels near the burn area, ensuring an on-site remote automated weather station to collect accurate weather and fuel moisture data, and include robust contingency actions, especially when burning near homes and private land. The month of October means it's time to don your best lederhosen, chug something out of a beer mug, and get your polka on. Telluride's Oktoberfest is back. This week celebrates all things fall in Germany with an Oktoberfest party at the transfer warehouse. There will be German food, live polka music, and beer from local breweries. Costumes, of course, are encouraged. Oktoberfest will take place at the Transfer Warehouse on Friday, October 14th, starting at 3 p.m. State Senator Kevin Priola continues to face calls to step down after he switched parties from Republican to Democrat in August. But KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods reports recall efforts have been temporarily halted in court. A Denver district court judge has ruled the recall can't continue until Priola is sworn into his new district in January. Priola currently represents Democratic-leaning Senate District 25, but because of redistricting, he'll move to District 13 starting next year. That district is more conservative. The court says it isn't right for voters in his new district to start a recall when he's still representing the other one. Recall organizers say they're close to collecting enough signatures to force a recall election. They plan to appeal the ruling. Successful recalls are rare, but Republicans hope it will help their chances of retaking control of the state Senate. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Denver.
A public memorial and reflection took place Sunday in Boulder to explore the truth of Boulder's role in the Sand Creek Massacre. The event comes days after the announcement of a significant expansion of the National Historic Site in southeastern Colorado. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KGNU's Shannon Young has more. Federal officials announced the acquisition of nearly 3,500 acres of land to expand the National Park Service's Sand Creek Massacre National Historic Site in Kiowa County. The significance of it is, is that we can encompass all the area around the, the site. And it also gives the Park Service a chance to um, provide a, a better facility for, for the public to go and see where this event took place. Fred Mosqueda is an Arapahoe elder from Oklahoma who has been working as a tribal representative in public education efforts and in talks with officials. He was at Wednesday's ceremony at the Sand Creek Massacre site and is part of a group remembering 1864. From Fort Chambers to Sand Creek, the future is now. It's an oral history project of singing, storytelling, and dialogue. It connects the dots between the massacre at Sand Creek and the Fort Chambers garrison in present-day Boulder County, where U.S. troops trained for the attack. We do this so people can know our history. What happened at Fort Chambers? Why is it important? What happened? You know, what's the trail? What, 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 what was all going on in Colorado? Why were we there instead of in uh, Cherry Creek where we started out? The Sand Creek Massacre was a turning point in relations between this area's native inhabitants and the white settlers that had been illegally establishing homesteads in lands protected by signed treaties. The discovery of gold in Colorado created an additional financial incentive for land grabs through violent displacement campaigns. U.S. Army troops trained at Fort Chambers attacked what was supposed to be a protected encampment of around 750 Cheyenne and Arapaho people. Of the 230 people killed on November 29th of 1864, more than half were women, children, and elders. While the wounds from the massacre run generations deep, Fred Mosqueda says the oral histories that have been passed down also have the power to heal. And I think in telling and education, educating our, our younger ones to what happened and to show them where we're at today tends to heal, tends to not. It's still, you know, when you go to Sand Creek, you, you're going to feel this this feeling, you know, of, of dread, almost like that's what I always feel like. I'm really sad there. But, you know, it doesn't change for me. But maybe for the younger ones coming after me, maybe they'll be able to see it as the triumph between tribes and the United States government and that their understanding finally are people and that Yes, we are people. Yes, we can do things to help tell this story. And in doing so, we become better, you know, along with everybody else. And it's not just the descendants of victims and survivors who stand to benefit from greater knowledge of this area's history. Marion Murphy works with local farmers and sustainable agriculture initiatives in Boulder and is a member of the Remembrance Planning Circle organizing the Remembering 1864 event. 
this is an opportunity for me to heal myself personally. So that is what drew me in. Now that I am learning more about it, of course, I see many ways in which I can continue to co contribute. But right now, it is just that we are part of a group called the Remembrance Planning Circle. And we have put together this event and uh, really allow people to emotionally absorb um, what has happened here and also really to think about our future because that is where we're headed, the future, which should be much more community-inclusive um, opportunities for everyone. Tess Eckert, also a member of the Remembrance Planning Circle, was born and raised in Boulder, but says she did not grow up learning the history of the area's original inhabitants. I think for me, the urgency for everyone, whether they're Indigenous or not, or interested in Indigenous history and rights or not, is really that it has it has to do with the bigger story of our humanity and and also the crisis that we're facing on the earth right now. Some say that a step towards righting the wrongs of the past must involve the return of stolen land. The Sand Creek Massacre historical site opened in 2007 on land privately purchased by Jewish casino owner Jim Druck, who drew parallels between the genocide of the Holocaust in Europe and the mass murder and displacement of indigenous people within the present-day United States. Druck deeded the land to the Cheyenne and Arapaho tribes of Oklahoma, which created a trust with the National Park Service. In Boulder, the open space around the Fort Chambers site is also a topic of discussion for land back. Some area cities have either signed or are exploring sister city arrangements with the Cheyenne and Arapaho tribes. Last year, the city of Longmont signed a sister city agreement with the northern Arapaho tribe of Wyoming. Authorities in Broomfield have also started similar discussions. We want to be thriving. We want to be part of the communities. We want to be partners with Colorado and these cities. Arapaho elder Fred Mosquera says active partnerships and the return of land is what he'd like to see more of in the future. I would love it if the, if the Cheyenne Arapahos were able to, to somehow work with the cities to become partners somehow, either be an economic development or are politically or some way to become partners with these cities in Colorado so that we could have a place to go back to, you know, that, that would help support our people. The National Weather Service forecast for the Western San Juans calls for clear skies tonight with a low around 40 degrees. Thursday should be sunny during the day and clear at night with a high near 60 degrees and a low around 40. Friday, expect sunny skies with a high near 60 degrees. Friday night calls for clear skies with a low around 40. This has been the news for Wednesday, October 12th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.